up for you, and we're going to turn to a couple of different places tonight. We're going to start off in the book of Acts, chapter 1, so you can go ahead and turn there if you want to. Uh, there should be some Bibles maybe in the pew, hold the little Bible holder thing on the pew, or we'll have it up on the screen. Um, so the last uh, uh, seven weeks or so, ever since Ash Wednesday, we have been in, this, in the season of Lent as, uh, as a congregation, joining with the Christians all around the world, a journey toward Easter and toward Jerusalem. And, um, and so there's a lot of times uh, there's kind of a, a little bit of like a lull afterwards. You know, it's kind of like you go through Advent and there's Christmas and then like the next Sunday it's like, like a little bit of, not a letdown, but it's like, what do we do now? You know, and, and I was reminded today that, that really every time the church comes together, it's, it's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. It's always, it's always Easter, really, in our, in our hearts and in reality. And so every time we come together, it should be exciting. But there, there is a little bit of like, okay, well, now what? We're not really in a season now. What's our focus now? And um, I think that, that the story that we've been celebrating, moving toward Jerusalem, uh, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead, but then like he lived, like he was on the earth for another like 40 days. He did all kind of stuff. He appeared to the disciples and there was some miraculous things. And he, there, he restored Peter who had, who had, uh, you know, denied him and that kind of stuff. And, and he taught him some things. And then there's this, this deal called the, the ascension that sometimes we sort of skip over because it's easy in the, in the storyline to think, uh, death, burial, resurrection, and then the next big event would be the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the, that the Spirit of God comes to dwell in the people of God. But in between those two things, there is the ascension of Jesus, which uh, may at first seem like, well, no, that's just when he like went up, you know, he ascended on this cloud. Is there really any significance to that, or is that just like he had to go so the Holy Spirit could come? And that's part of it, but, but there's more to it. And so tonight and next Sunday, we're going to just talk about the ascension of Jesus and how that fits into his story, into our story, and why it's too important for us to just kind of skip over. Um, but to, we're going to start, next week we'll talk about the theological significance, because that's very important to understand. Um, and if, if I were to sort of sum up uh, something that would just kind of get us moving forward a little bit, um, in Ephesians 1, you don't need to turn to this. There's some verses that kind of explain something that's very important. Um, in, uh, starting in verse 19, Paul is he's encouraging the, the church in Ephesus, and um, he's listed off a bunch of things. And he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And so he's wanting them to understand his love and his power for them, and the resurrection is such a huge part of that. And so, um, says, so he's talking about the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That Jesus was raised from the dead, lived on the earth for 40 more days, and the ascension, he didn't just go up to heaven and now he's like up there, and even if heaven is up there, there's all kinds of, you know, we don't really understand. We do know that he is with God, but he's not just like hanging out. 
He is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the position of authority, uh, the position of that, that he is, from which he is ruling over all of creation. That God has made him, that, like the, God the Father has made Jesus the ruler of everything. And so he is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for I. So whenever we pray, um, our prayers are being led by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We're praying through Jesus, who's like kind of in between us and the Father. And Jesus is like, um, kind of like standing in the gap for us, vouching for us, helping the Father understand, hopefully, how difficult it is to live here and to, to have these, these bodies that uh, were, were born into sin and all that kind of stuff and how difficult that can be and, and how the powers of darkness and the powers of the world. And so Jesus is there, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over everything and interceding for you and I. And that the ascension is important because of all those things. Like Jesus was placed there to function that way in your life and in my life. Um, and so when, when Paul says that, he's seated at the right hand in heavenly places, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus has ascended, and he is ruling, and he is reigning. That he is over your life, he's over this, the life of this church. He's over all these things, and the ascension is part of that. And I'll get into that more next week. Um, so the fact that he ascended into heaven and is doing all those things should impact us in a way, I mean, it should bless us, and we should know that's a part of why he, how he blesses and keeps us, like we bless one another every week. But have you ever wondered why, why he didn't just like, like just end it all then? You ever wonder why he said it is finished and then it seems to not be finished? Like why leave us behind? Why look at his disciples after being raised from the dead, and they're, they're, he's shown them the scars on his hands, and, and he's shared some meals with them, and there's these teachings and stuff. And why, is, why does he say some final words and then, like, take off? Why wouldn't he say, come on, let's go. Everything's done. It's finished. Everything we just sang about, it's happened. Let's go. Why would he say, you stay here. I'm going to go do this thing. We should wonder that because it is significant that he did not take them with him, that he left them on the earth, and essentially he left us on the earth, that he has gone into heaven without us for now. And that should not make us sad, you know, we shouldn't feel slighted, um, but we should pay attention to that. And so that's what I want to tackle tonight is why, why, why be left behind? Not in like a Kirk Cameron, Nick Cage kind of way. Uh, but in a sense of like, why, would, why wouldn't he just end it all then? Why drag out history? Have you ever wondered that? I wonder it often, especially when bad stuff is going on. It's like, why, what's go, why would he do that? Well, we're going to let him in his own words explain to us why the ascension is so important to us. Next week we'll talk about why it's important to him and the theological stuff, but tonight just real practically what is the th- what is the thing we should be paying attention to. So let's listen let's listen to his own words 
in Acts chapter 1, we have uh, the passage about the ascension, starting in verse 4. It says, And while, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there's the ascension, kind of tucked in there. Uh, Jesus has some very specific words. Let's, I just want to look at those for just a second and make some observations. Verse 4, um, he, he tells him not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. She said, you've heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that's significant that he's telling them, uh, you need to wait. Because God made you a promise that will be fulfilled very soon. And the Spirit of God is going to come to you. Um, verse 7, you know, they're asking, they were real inquisitive because they were, were still convinced that Jesus was the military leader. And the resurrection only reinforced that for them. Um, that he was going to have, be this political and military restorer of Israel. Um, they, still, they didn't understand that it was spiritual first. And so they were kind of asking him about that. And he tells them, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. So he goes back to, he goes back to the, the Holy Spirit thing. But instead of telling you when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen and everything, here's, here, you don't need to know that. Here's what you do need to know, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, okay, so in the city where they were, and in the surrounding areas, and then all the way to, for the rest of the, the earth. So, let me just make a couple of observations. We see the promise of the Father to send the Spirit. We see him saying, don't focus on the timeline, but focus on the task at hand. That's really important. They want to know all these things, and he's like, you don't need to know th- those things, you need to know this thing. He tells them that power is coming. He tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Um, he says that they will be witnesses. They will be his witnesses, actually. Um, that it's going to start in that city and then it's going to work its way outward. And he tells them to go. Now, flip over to Luke chapter 24. Going back a little bit. So Luke wrote the book of Luke and he also wrote the book of Acts. And so there are some similarities um, as he's drawing from eyewitness accounts. Luke uh, chapter 24, starting verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, 
Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. All right, some, some observations again here from Jesus' last words. Um, he, there's a proclamation of repentance and forgiveness. He says, um, like, that's the reason that they are, are there. Um, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to the nations. And so that is like one of the themes that's there, uh, beginning with Jerusalem and then to the nations, just like in the book of Acts. Uh, it happens when you act as witnesses, just like in the book of Acts. Uh, the promise of the Father is coming to you. Okay, we've seen that. Power from on high will be yours. Wait for the Holy Spirit and go. So in Luke and in Acts, both accounts drawing from eyewitnesses, we have like this both of these things being communicated, this like very similar things. Okay, now go to Matthew twenty-eight. We're gonna hop around just a little. That's it. This is the last hop. I promise. Matthew twenty-eight. There's a a passage that is uh, very uh, very commonly preached and memorized and put onto artwork and sides of buildings and churches. Um, Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so here's some observations here. Um, Jesus is speaking as one who has authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. All right, so his words are not just words. They're like, they're the words. Um, he tells them to go, and that word is obviously very important. He says to go to the nations, and so we've seen that in other places too. He tells them to make disciples, to make learners, you know, to make people who want to imitate in order to become, uh, to make followers, to, to make like carbon copies of Jesus. That that is what he's telling them to go and to produce says, you are trying to be like me, now I want you to go and, and help others to do the same thing. And he gives them kind of two ways to do that. One would be uh, baptizing them. And so baptism is the, it's this public identification with Jesus. You're being baptized and you're saying, I'm, I identify with the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And uh, you want that that inward transformation to be displayed publicly to everyone. So baptism does not happen in secret. Baptism happens in very much in public. And in this time in history, this part of the world, like baptism into the name of Christ could get you killed. 
Because a part of baptism was this declaration that Jesus is Lord, which would fly in the face of uh, Roman authority, who they said was Lord. And um, so in some cases, you'd be baptized only to immediately be killed uh, because you're going against the government and stuff like that. And so baptism is more, it's more than just this ordinance of the church that we're like supposed to do. It is a, it is a public declaration of what has happened internally. And you are, um, you're identifying yourself with Jesus and you want everyone to know it. And so Jesus is telling them to go and to make disciples. And a part of that is by baptizing them, by inviting them into the life that he is offering. He's saying, hey, you can come and, be, and you can be a part of me. And so the disciples are going to do that. And the other thing they're to do is to teach, is to simply pass on the teachings of Jesus. It says, everything I taught you to do, you just go, go help other people do the same thing. Teach them the same stuff I taught you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of his commands, that that is how disciples are made. There's a, there's a conversion, there's a, a, um, a, and a changing of identity, of the, the old heart is removed, the new heart is put in, the Spirit of God comes to live in you, and you get up in front of everyone and you tell them that. And then you're teaching and you're learning and you're being transformed and you're growing. And that's how disciples are made. And then he assures them that he's with them. The end of that, of that uh, passage, verse 20, says, I'm, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now they were probably very confused when after he said this, he got, jumped on a cloud and like rode up into heaven. It was like, wait a second. He just said you're with us always and now you're up there. But Jesus knew that for him to be there meant that the Spirit of God would come, and then through the Spirit's presence and work in their, like in their inner man, he would be present with them. Yes, he's, he's present all around us, but his unique presence with his, like his baptized uh, disciples would be, hey, I'm with you, I'm like, not just with you, I'm in you always, even, to, even all the way to the end. So, if we, if we take those, those three passages and some of those observations and we kind of push them together, I think it helps us to understand why we are here and why he didn't just like raise from the dead and be like, all right, let's go and take them all up there. And part of that's awesome because we wouldn't have been born, right? But... We have to pay attention to the fact that he said, no, no, you stay here. I'm going to go. But he didn't just say, just stay here, just trust me, I'll be back. He, he like mapped out for them and for us exactly why he's left us here. Now, you could probably come up with more points than this. I came up with six, and I gave them each like one word. So if you're a note taker, it'd be like six bullets with a word each, maybe some other stuff. But six things that I think we can pull from those three passages of Scripture that can help us uh, not have to wonder, what was he thinking? What was the point of that? Why does the ascension matter? So six of them. The first one, just the word presence. That Jesus has ascended, but he has not left. That he is not here, but it's 
but he's here, you know. So Jesus, being a physical, like uh, being a man, uh, was while he was on the earth, was limited to just like you and I are. He could only be one place at one time. And so now Jesus is able to be everywhere through his church because he has gone away. So Jesus is is like a man in bodily form, and he will be forever. So on, like in heaven, in the, the new earth, so heaven is this earth, but it's all made new. So really, we won't go um, up to heaven. Jesus will come back the same way, same way that he went. He will come back, but he'll come to us here, and all of this will be made new. And on the new earth, he will have a physical body. So you and I will be able to see those scars forever, which is crazy to me. And so him, understanding, because he's super smart, his physical limitations as a man forever, he knows that it's better for him to ascend, and then he can send the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, and it like, has this, like, this infinite impact, really. So you know that part where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them things, he's just kind of blowing their minds, which is, which is all the time. But he's telling them all this stuff and he says, guys, you're going to do greater things than me. You ever read that verse? And be like, how in the world are we going to do greater things than Jesus? But Jesus knows. He says, yeah, well, I can only be one place at one time. But when the Spirit dwells in all of the believers, all throughout the planet, all throughout time... So there's going to be great, like so much more accomplished. And so he says, I'm going to go so that the helper can come. And either way, I will be with you always, even to the very end. That the presence of God, he's not just with you, he's in, like in you. And that is better. And so his ascension is important for us to embrace and to think about and realize, like, no, even though it's, it, it was probably confusing at the time, and even though we probably have some reasons why we wish that he had just, like, cut it off then or whatever and just kind of gotten on with it, that it is to the benefit of every soul that he go. Because this plan is better. And so the first theme that we can draw about his ascension is that his presence it's exponentially more powerful to us in terms of our own experience. And so in a couple of weeks, uh, Chase is going to come and Chase is going to preach on being the temple of the Holy Spirit and, and what that means. And that's like this natural part of the story progression. But at this point, Jesus knows it. They don't really understand it. And so they were probably a little bit confused too. But maybe when he told them, hey, look, I'm with you always, even until the end. And then he went up on the cloud, and maybe they're like, what's going on here? Maybe there was one of them that said, hold on. He said he would always be with us. And he's never lied to us, and he'll never, he will never lie to us. And maybe that person helped remind them of those words. And also takes us into the second point, which is empowerment. Empowerment. That Jesus is the one who is in authority. And so he has spoken into your life and into my life and said, you now will have everything that you need. The Father has promised it. The Son has ascended so that the Spirit can come and there is power that lives within you. 
Like the same power that raised a dead body back to life dwells in you and dwells in me. You should probably write that down and just think about that randomly at times during the day. That the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. There are songs that sing that very line. And I don't know how you sing that, really. It's so stunning. But Jesus said, no, this is better because there's an empowerment. That he is the one that holds all authority. And he says, this is how it's going to be. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And so nothing, nothing about this is random. And so his presence is, is there in fullness. And there is an empowerment that happens so that the th- very things that he has handed down to his church can actually happen. It's so easy to look at, around and to just feel like the church has just kind of missed it for so long. And just think it's kind of a lost cause. But not if like resurrection power lives inside of every one of us. And so he is with us, he is in us, and there is an empowerment to be able to carry out the very reasons why he left us here. This takes us to the third point. Just the word go. That we're sent by our God to make disciples. To, be, to make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. And so you're kind of a learner all the time. But then to make a disciple, you also have to kind of take on the persona of like a rabbi. And so if you're a Christian... You, you, you call yourself a rabbi. Good job. That you are this authority figure. Like you are one who knows. You are one who has learned. And you are also one who is teaching. That you're constantly living your life. And both of those things are, are completely at play at all times. So hopefully we're always learning from the scriptures, from community, from the Spirit's work within us, from prayer, from all those things melding together so that we're always uh, willing and ready to receive whatever God has for us. It requires humility. It requires uh, not getting caught up in thinking that you're kind of awesome or that you just like, oh, I know all that stuff already. You know, I just, I just don't apply it, you know, like those kinds of things. So we're always learning, but I think a big hang-up for a lot of us is that we don't always bring in the like the rabbi side of it we don't always bring in the fact that god has made you a learner but he's also made you a teacher and so you're always modeling for those around you you're always instructing whether whether you're like instructing or whether you're just uh well whether it's directly or indirectly maybe that's a better way to say it that as you go to work or school or you're at home you're in your neighborhood or whatever, that, that you are a rabbi who's walking around, that you're demonstrating for everyone around you exactly what it means and looks like to be a follower of Jesus. How's that, how's that for intimidation, right? But that's what the rabbis would do. They would walk around with these disciples behind them, and they would teach them things. They would just model things for them, and the disciples were always trying to be like the rabbi. And so... Jesus has set up this amazing situation where 
He is with you, in you, empowering you, and sending you out to both learn and to teach all the time. That every environment that you go into, that's who goes into that environment. It's not someone who doesn't know what they're doing. It's not someone who's just constantly messing stuff up. It's not someone who is like, uh, like front and center, all the insecurities that we bring to the table and all of our shortcomings and all that kind of stuff that Jesus proudly um, parades you through your life, spreading everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That you are a learner and you're a teacher. You're a disciple and you're a rabbi. In your home, in your apartment, on your campus, in the workplace, all that stuff. Now that might be a little bit intimidating to you, but you can't vacuum out the empowerment or the presence of God or the fact that he has told us to go and to do this. And so a part of why he's left us here is so that we can go. Like That's the commission. That's the, like, hey, go do this thing. Jesus says, I'm going to ascend so that you can go out there. The next thing uh, is the word proclamation. It says in, in, in there in Luke 24, basically that we're here that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That there is a proclamation that is happening. And so whether you are proclaiming it in your neighborhood like, like audibly with a megaphone or, or with the way that you live your life. So with words or with actions, we're always proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. If we really want to get, like, get into what it really means here to proclaim it, so the word gospel was used, and I think I said this a few weeks ago, whenever a, whenever a king would be uh, crowned or a prince would be born or there was some sort of royal proclamation that needed to happen, outward from, from the, like the center of the kingdom would go all these riders. And they would go and they would go to all the corners of that kingdom and they would take into all the towns to all the people this proclamation that a, there was a new king or that a king had been born. And so the night that Jesus was born, the angels appear to these shepherds, and they are messengers to tell these shepherds, hey, a king has been born to you today. They are essentially the riders that are going out from home base to tell all the corners of the kingdom the good news that there is a new king. And so you and I beginning with the disciples like at the ascension and working its way down from there through the timeline of history, you and I are the riders who are taking the proclamation of good news into the places that we go that, hey, there's a new king. This king is about forgiveness and he is about peace and he is about love and he loves you specifically and you need to know it. And so... Jesus is there, and he has his disciples right before the ascension, and he says, hey, you need to go that the proclamation would go to every nation about repentance and forgiveness of sins because there's a new king. I'm the new king. So you go take that message to everyone 
You go clear up all the misconceptions. You go take care of, of, of the gossip. You go and you make sure that people are thinking correctly and they know what's going on and that the kingdom they were born into is not the only kingdom that there is, that there is a new king who died and was raised from the dead. So you go do that. I'm going to go up here. Because if I don't go up to heaven, then you will not have the power to go into the nations. So I'm going to go so that you can go. And so as you go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, proclaim the grace and the truth of Jesus. Some people take that, that go instruction to mean like as you go. I've heard other people argue, it's like, no, it's a command to go. And other people will say, no, it just means like as you're going about your life, you're making disciples. I'm like, okay, let's just say they're both right. Let's just say that we're supposed to go like from like a, like a launch pad kind of deal. And also, like as we're living our lives, that's what we're doing. We're bringing the message. Like, hey, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a new king. And he's awesome. And he wants you to know him. He's inviting you into that kingdom. For so long, the Great Commission has been, you know, like if you grew up in a Baptist church, which I know everybody did not, but it seems like uh, Baptist churches especially have gotten really hung up on certain aspects of witnessing and sharing your faith and that kind of stuff. And I think for some of us, we kind of have like a weird sort of bondage in, in there, you know, like you feel guilty that you're not just constantly like, like ringing a bell at work and getting everyone's attention and like just laying it all out there and doing an altar call, you know? Well, maybe that's not what he's called you to do. Maybe it is. All right, so don't say no automatically. But maybe, maybe it's just different. Maybe if there's a part of you that when I'm like, go to Matthew 28, you're like, oh, I know this already. Yeah, yeah, we see power, Acts 1, 8, where the Holy Spirit comes on us, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, got it, I know all that. But maybe we don't. Maybe we don't have all of it that we realize, you know, like maybe we don't have it all figured out. Maybe we need to just relax and let Jesus' own words say something to us. Proclamation. The next uh, word number five, witnesses. Just based on, what, based on what we know to be true. Because you've seen it. Like you've experienced it. And so you're just simply saying, hey, I, this is my story. This is, this is how I know this is true. You know, there's a, there's a story in John chapter 9 where there's a man that was born blind and Jesus heals him. And uh, Jesus goes on, you know, about his, his life, and this guy's like, goes back into town, he's trying to tell everybody stuff, and they try to have this big theological debate. And they're asking him all these questions, and the dude just keeps going like, look, I don't know the answers to any of your questions. This is what I know. I used to be blind, and now I'm not. And in between that is this guy named Jesus. So, draw your own conclusions. He's just being a witness. And so you, as you go about your life, you're just bearing witness to what you've seen and what you've experienced. That when we're called into a life of proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, that you have experienced repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Have you experienced the peace of this king? Have you heard the good news that was proclaimed to you and you said, yeah, I want to know more about that. And so now that's like who you are. Um, then you've, 
experienced something. And so Jesus is telling them, like, go and like, bear witness to what you've experienced. He's saying this is not to be kept just to ourselves. He ascended. He didn't take that group with them. You know why? Because there were more people that needed to come in. There were too many people that didn't know. Jesus was not there for that little patch of people. He said, hey, there's a lot more folks out there that need to know this. So I'm going to send you as messengers. So everybody get your horse and get ready. And like, I don't know if they use horses or not. But go out as messengers. You're going to go and you're going to proclaim that as witnesses. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to send you. It's all going to be all that kind of stuff. But you need to go because there are too many people that haven't heard yet. They've heard it wrong. Wrong kingdom, wrong king, wrong everything. You get to go help them know what's true. And so, if that group of people was riddled with self-centeredness, then after Jesus ascended, they would be like, why didn't you just take us with him? But maybe, maybe they were filled with compassion and love for other people, and they were like, oh, I'm so glad he said that. Because i got a family that doesn't know. There's people all on the trade routes that we see all the time. They have no idea. We know there are other nations out there because they're constantly passing through our, our city and our towns and stuff like that. And they probably don't know. There's people up on that hilltop worshiping like this, like this tree that they carved a face into. They don't know. I'm so glad he said that because we need to go tell people. Because it's too important. And so maybe when the Spirit comes in and fills them up, and that empowerment is there, and they, maybe that's when their hearts maybe shift a little bit. And that's when our hearts shift as well, because we realize, like, man, there's, as, as, as much as we want Jesus to come back right now and end all of this, there are millions and millions and millions who just don't know. Some of them have said, no, I don't want anything to do with that, but a lot of them... I've just never had someone come in and say, let me tell you about this king. Let me, tell you, let me tell you for real about this king. We talked about it during Advent, that Jesus came for the nations. The ascension reminds us, hey, he's not here. You know why he's not here? Because there's too many people that don't know. He accomplished everything on the cross. Like he, His work is finished. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's... He's resting. But our work is not finished. The plan has not worked its way to the corners of the earth yet. And so we go as witnesses. And the last thing, number six, is just the word everyone. In all three passages, Jesus points to the nations that everyone is invited Bringing the message about the king was not just like a, hey, here's a, you know, a little for your information bulletin thing. It's inviting them. It's not like, hey, you just need to know this. He's saying, hey, you need to know this and you need to come be a part of it. Like that's a part of the message is the invitation. There aren't two separate things. That the proclaiming of repentance and forgiveness to the nations by his church a part of the proclamation is inviting them in, always. You hear people sometimes will talk about, it's like, well, we just need to tell them, once we tell them, it's on them. 
That's not very inviting. It doesn't really sound like the kingdom of God to me. Paul goes in and he's, he's making a plea. He's begging them, be reconciled to God. Paul had this amazing passion for those who don't know this message yet. And it's one that I do not carry naturally in my own strength in my day-to-day life. You might, but I don't. And it's one I have to pray toward, I have to ask for, I have to, it has to become important to me. Because it's, when it's not important to me, I just kind of go through life and I get, I get the day done, you know. Or I narrow down who I'm responsible for in my own mind. When Jesus doesn't really seem to be qualifying a whole lot. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to empower you, I'm going to send you, make a top five list of people you think should be in and go, you know, don't worry about anybody else. That there's this like global drive to make sure everyone knows. Now this group of people standing there, they receive this commission they hear about empowerment and the sending and his presence with them to go and to be witnesses and to proclaim this stuff. And, and it's this corporate commission that's also made up of individuals. So like it's something that, like, that you're called to, but we're called to, that kind of thing. This group of people would then, some of them would then experience the Spirit of God coming for the first time and that miracle. And then they would watch that little group go from like this little group of however many, let's say 100, into like 5,000 overnight. Like in, a, in an instant. Now think about it. Think about if, if this group right here, if we were like, okay, how are we going to reach the nations? We're like, whoa, that's a big planet. What if, in, what if next Sunday 5,000 people showed up here? And every one of those people was like, let's go reach the nations. It becomes a little more possible, right? At least a little more possible. And so the gospel seems to be delivered in person. Like Jesus comes to us and proclaims this truth, and then he sends people to people, and people to people, and people to people, and people to people. And so if you're a Christian, you're only here because someone was faithful to bring it to you. And someone was faithful to bring it to them. So you keep backing up, backing up, backing up. And we find our origin here somehow. In this moment, in the ascension, we find our origin for how the story trickled down to you and to me. Isn't that amazing? And I've heard this quote, or variations of this quote in the last several months, like a number of times. I don't know who said it, but so that the gospel comes to you on its way to someone else. The ascension reminds us of that. It's like, hey, you're, you're not here to just be Americans. You're not just here to like, just like live and try to kind of be sort of happy and you know, grow old and retire and whatever. That Jesus has left us here on purpose, with purpose. Empowered, driven, focused, like it's not at all a question mark as to why he left us. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need, just go. You've you got to go. You've got to go into their lives. 
And so what does that look like for us? Well, for some, it looks like going literally to another nation. We've been, we've been so, uh, so blessed for, a, for a, a church our size with our history. We're always having people who are out there somewhere. And not just in the summers. And so we have folks who are out there, folks who are, are there are some of you in this room who will be out there somewhere in a year. And you don't even know it right now, and you're freaking out. <laughs> there are some of you that are literally called to other nations. There are, are some of you that are called to go to some, like another part of this nation. There are some of you where you're, you're going and making disciples has to do with where you work, or where you go to school, or the neighborhood that you live in, or the home that you're in. So if you have children, that's a part of like, how you're making disciples. Like, that's a part of, your, like, of the nations that you're called to. And so what you have to do, what I have to do, is come before the Lord and say, okay, how, what do you want me to do? How in the world can I reach the nations? Well, it seems like from Jesus' perspective, if everyone were, like he would just like strategically put everybody out there. To where everyone is covered. If everyone would just ask him and say yes and be obedient, then we get this thing done. And so it becomes a stewardship issue for you and for me to say, okay, the ascension shows us that there's a plan that's still working its way out and we fit into it. That we're empowered, that his presence is with us, that we go and we proclaim and we have this authority to just bring the truth of this new king that we have experienced and witnessed to go and be obedient to the nations, whether that's your home or whether that's another country or anywhere on that spectrum that you want, we just got to say yes. And it's not a game. Like, it's, it's just not a game. It's not a casual thing. It's not a like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe that's for some people. Maybe some people have the gift of evangelism, and I just don't. That doesn't show up here. I do think some people are uniquely gifted to just communicate the gospel. Uh, like I'm, I'm fine with that, but I don't think that anyone that's a Christian just like unchecks that box. Because you witnessed it. You're under this commission. You're empowered in the same way and you're sent. So what do we do with it? I don't know. I don't know that there's like a corporate answer. Here's what we're going to do about it. Because Jesus lives in you as well. And so I really think it becomes a matter of individual stewardship for you to come before your Savior and say, what part of reaching the nations am I supposed to be a part of? How can I be a part of that? And let him tell you. And then if you're married, have a follow-up conversation with your spouse. If you have kids, figure out where they fit into that because they do. If you feel a stir and a call to the nations, we can help you figure that out. If you want to get more involved locally and figure out how to do that, that, that's awesome. We're trying to push our community groups into their surrounding communities for this very reason. Because there's people that live on your street. There's people that live in all these places that don't know yet. Maybe they never heard. Maybe they just heard it wrong. Maybe they've heard and they're just hung up in their own stuff. Whatever it is. So, we're here that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. The ascension of Jesus reminds us 
that yes, it is finished in terms of atoning work for sin, but it's not finished in terms of the commission handed to the church to, to go. It impacts how you live your Monday through Friday. It impacts your weekends. It impacts everything. And if you don't take this seriously, then I would encourage you to talk to Jesus about that, to confess it. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't, go, don't run and hide because of it. Bring it to him and say, hey, I don't, I, don't, I don't think about this enough. I don't think about my work as a mission field. I don't think of myself as a missionary ever. Confess it. Tell him, hey, I don't, I don't give a rip about the people I live around. I don't give a, a, a care in the world about my cashier at Walmart. I'm just not that kind of person. Confess it and ask him for help. Because you know who wants this commission fulfilled even more than you do? He does. He would love to talk to you about that. And he's not going to hit you over the head with a hammer. He's going to hug you and say, I know. I know. Let's work on that. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's see what the scriptures say about that. Let's, let's talk about how to, like, how to go in that direction. There's too many people that don't know. And so I hope, I hope that this stirs us up. God's been stirring us as a church for a while now. And kind of, I, I think he's been purifying us of some things. I think he's been helping us see some ways that we're, we, we kind of love this, like the internal stuff. But um, I think he's, he's showing us we need, to, we need to think outwardly more than we do. My personal journey is, is I've talked about this before, is, is going from, from really wondering, like, how does a church exist like ours? Where we live all over the place. Like, doesn't that work against us? And God's like, no, what if it works for you? What if you're one church that's reaching like five different, six, seven different communities instead of one church in one community? Like, oh, that's totally different. Even down to changing the name. Like, that is driven by our desire to communicate more accurately who we are and what we're here to do. And so at the church level, all the way down to the individual level, I think Jesus is wanting us to pay attention and say, hey, have you noticed I'm not here? Have you noticed I haven't come back yet? Have you noticed? And do you know what that means? It means there's just still too many people who don't know. So wherever it lands with you, be responsible with it. Talk about it. Pray about it. Don't leave it here. Um, because this is not random. All right? Let's stand together. And can you just just take a minute and maybe just gather your thoughts a little bit. And if you're going to walk out knowing it may have nothing to do with the sermon, but if you're to walk out knowing what God wants you to hold on to, ask Him just to give you that. Give you a word, give you a, an idea, a person, something just to hold on to.